or wherever we're at right now. Um, by the way, there is uh, several things that are on the uh, back table. Not only are there fresh notes from what we uh, studied this morning, but we also have um, some calendar things that uh, some of them we can fill in automatically. Uh, some of the other ones we want to uh, discuss a little bit later. Uh, there are many that are on the prayer sheet. I want to encourage you to take a look at them. Uh, we go over these every uh, Wednesday night. We try to make sure that all the different ones uh, that we are discussing, those that we have in our prayer sheets, can do so uh, by reaching us as quickly as possible. We hope that you'll take the attention as well. The second Bibles, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And uh, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, I want you to know that originally I had a different title altogether uh, for this message. And uh, I was focusing upon one verse, which was a man after God's own heart, which we find in this passage. But the thing that I began to look at as I studied it more and more, originally I was looking at all 23 verses of this chapter, I began to focus more upon three particular things, which leads to the title. Number one, the test, the failure, and the decree. Let me repeat that. The, fa the, the test the failure, and the decree. Now, I want us to look at this today as we read this passage together. We're going to read from verse 1, where it speaks of King Saul as he is now given a responsibility. And I want us to think very carefully about what we're reading here today as we go on. Beginning in uh, chapter 13, 1 Samuel, verse 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel... Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his own tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines and was in Geba, and the Philistines heard it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard, saying that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also had, was, uh, had an abomination of the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and the people as the sand which was on the seashore in the multitude, and they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Bethaven. And the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. When the people did hide themselves in caves, in the thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring, me, bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and he might salute him. 
And Samuel said, What hast thou done? What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I will force myself, therefore, and offer a burnt offering. That's a pretty good excuse. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. And now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man from his, uh, after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel rose, and got him up from Gilgal, and Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present more with him, about six hundred men. And Saul and Jonathan his son, and the people that were present with them, abode in Gibeah, and Benjamin, and the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Let us pray. Father, again I want to pray that you will continue to bless us and help us to walk according to the dictates that you give us. Lord, my studies have been put in, and we have prepared the message. And Lord, while I believe the title is a reflection of what I know of myself and what we know of each other, we do understand, Father, that we need to follow you even closer and to be faithful unto you. Help us, dear Father, then to take these things to heart. There are many things that are upon our hearts to pray about. Some we have prayed through the night. Some have woken us out of our sleep and we've prayed. And Lord, every one of these things means something important to us. Help us then to take and establish the truth of thy word. Help us then, Father, to see the things that are written for our benefit and that we might walk faithfully before you. Help us then, dear Father, to understand the things that we see from the scripture and may we apply them accordingly. And guide and bless now in Christ we pray. Amen. It's good for us to read the Bible through on occasion. You know, I'm not one that necessarily advocates that we have to read through it annually, though I would agree that it's not a bad idea. I know a lady out in California that uh, she used to be the church secretary. I don't know if that's the role that she still holds. But she would no sooner finish the Bible that she would start it all over again and read it again. And uh, she had quite a, a vast knowledge of the Bible. But sometimes it's good to just stop and relook at everything we have. Now understand, there's been many messages preached from verse 14 in which it says, Now the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. But I want to take a little bit different tour, if you will, and to understand that the things that we read from this passage, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, that we are allowed to focus upon Saul. And I understand this. Don't, don't turn around and, and look down on Saul for the mistakes that he made. Understand this. Saul had established Israel in such a way that it was a powerful nation. 
He had established it to where that there were fear of other countries that were around him. He established the protocol how to approach the throne and how to do all these things. And David knew none of this. David actually had the opportunity to sit in the house of Saul, especially as the evil spirit came upon uh, Saul in his early days. So he knew how to approach uh, the king, how to make melody before the king, and so on and so forth. But I want you to see from the attitude that we have here about King Saul and the things that we're going to face even in this time. Now we're going to begin by looking at verse 5 here and let us understand the things that are written therein. So let's read it again, verse 5 to verse 8. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore and multitude and that came up and pitched to Michmash eastward from Bethaven. And the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, and the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and high places uh, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. If you don't have that word trembling underscored, I would recommend that you do it. Because these were fearful people. These were people that were afraid. They came to the battle, but they really weren't ready for battle. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Now, I'm going to paint this picture for you. So Saul, in his wisdom, he began to do things right. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. We know to do the things that are right before the sight of God, but many times our own character gets in the way. I'll give you an example, and I'm going to use me as that example in this area. I am not necessarily the most patient of individuals. Now, I love to organize. Uh, I do not like to see things messed up or things of this nature. And in fact, in the short period of time that I have uh, been working uh, at this new restaurant, one of the things that was stated was that I'm a very personal individual, but I also get a lot of things done. Well, it, it goes back to how I was trained as a child. You know, when I worked with my own dad, he, he said, no, no one can get anything done by sitting down. You've got to get up and work. But let's put it this way. My dad used to also make a list. You probably have seen that list, you know, if you've ever been around my dad or maybe your own parents did this. And on that list were about 11, 12, 13 things that had to be done for the day. Now, if you got 11 of those things done, it was a bad day. If you got 14 things done, even though there was 13 on the list, it was a good day. Great day, in fact. But the reality is, is that that shows a level of impatience, but it also shows something that we understand of ourselves. In reality, Saul individual. Now, he was patient to a point. Please understand this. He was a person that was patient to a very particular point in his life. Now, I want you to see this. Turn with me to the book of, of Isaiah. Oh, excuse me, I said that wrong. Turn with me to the Jeremiah, and let's go to chapter 40. I think everyone knows where we're going with this. And let's go down to verse, uh, let's see, I said it right the first time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. I said it right the first time. 
I thought I had printed it up wrong, but I didn't. All right, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And it says, And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, most of us know that verse by heart. I don't know why I said Jeremiah, but, you know, forgive me for my, my own humanity. But the reality is, is that how many of us like to wait upon the Lord? Now, what was interesting, and Greg and Carl will get a kick out of this, I thought, what if somebody has a flat tire come to church today? Now, the reason that I think it's kind of funny is then I get a message from Carla that says, we got a flat tire. And we got to get it changed. And I know it doesn't sound as funny as it may seem, but do we really feel like we're waiting on the Lord while we're getting that tire changed? Do we get anxious because we're saying, this, man, i got to get to church, i got this, i got to do that, i got to do the other. And we, we, we allow ourselves to get wrapped up into the, the day-to-day existence of this world. I want to show you something that is very interesting, the word wait. Now, the word wait is one that really demonstrates what an armor bearer would do. Now, Greg and Dennis, they probably know this more than, uh, you know, than I do because they play basketball together. But, you know, the practice time is the important time. Now, when I did, uh, when I did karate and I was learning karate, I had to learn my katas. I had to learn how to chop. I knew I had to learn how to hit. I knew I had to learn how to stand. I had to know all of these particular things. And what's interesting is, while I was in the thrux of those areas, I remembered them very well. I prepared myself. I worked on them all the time. I was there. I was patient. I was always doing the things that was needed. Believe it or not, I was working, but waiting at the same time. Now think about this for a moment. Working means that I am preparing for the upcoming battle. Waiting means I'm going to be patient with what I do. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you know that every one of our enemies has the same traits? Every one of our enemies has a similar trait that they're going to follow through. It is often been said of the sports figures, especially as they go into a championship game, and we all just went through the Super Bowl, that the Kansas City Chiefs and the, 40, and the San Francisco 49ers, they have the same same people, same care, things of this nature, and they're going to do the same things over and over again that they did in the past. Well, if you know that about an individual, you're going to follow their traits. You're going to stay on top of their traits, and you're going to learn them. Many times when we think about it, it goes all the way back to the time of warfare. And during the time of warfare, the time to prepare for the battle was not during the battle, but it was long before the battle. How many of us remember when David said to King Saul, I have not proved your armor? Meaning, I have not really tried this on. I don't know how to work. I don't know how to move within the armor. The reality is, is that if you don't know how to use that armor, then you can't use that armor. The reality is, is that one of the hardest things to do is to hold a sword and to hold it a long period of time. Whether it's a long sword like the, the claymores that they used to have in the past, or the short sword, which the Romans used many times years later. Holding that, that sword out for the longest period of time puts a lot of strain on this arm. 
It puts a lot of strain and you don't have time to switch it over because on this arm would also be the shield. And you had to use that shield not only as a weapon but an area of defense. So one area you might be fighting with the sword and defending yourselves but with the other one you're going to be defending your body. Now the reason I say that it is a pattern of weight was when it says in verse 31 they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. What does that mean? You're coming out of battle. And you know, when I, when I would come out of the, when I came out of uh, serious relationships with the base, I would sit down and, and I would have to polish my boots or make sure my uniform was ready. I would have to make sure I was clean shaven. I mean, after two or three days, you know, you get a pretty good stubble on your face. But the reality is, is that you cleaned yourself up, but you were resting and you were still working to make sure that you were ready to go. Did you notice that also it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In other words, they're recovering. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. If anything, there is a reverse order here. Now, I want you to look at this. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, meaning they shall fly. They shall run, which means, you know, the physical stance, and they shall walk. Now, think about this for a moment. Most of us think of walk, run, and fly, not fly, run, and walk. In other words, this is a descending order. When you're in the heart of the battle, man, you are ready to get after it. You can fly as much as you want. And you can run after your enemy. But at the end of that battle, what do we find? It is hard to even walk. Anyone ever walk with a, with a backpack on your back? A long, heavy-duty pack. I can't do it now. When I was younger, man, I could, I could strap on that backpack. I could take 40 pounds and go all over creation with it and not even be winded. But I dare say nowadays I can't do it because I'm going to need two poles, whatever I can do, to get up, a, up the hill. And the reason that I said of, of Saul, he was looking at the people and there was a real reality in verse 7 where it says, and they were trembling. They were not ready themselves for battle. They could see the enemy. And look, it was a sizable enemy that they were beholding. Because it said that there were, in verse 2, and so, well, excuse me, let me get down where, uh, where we can see it. In verse 5, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Especially if you don't have any chariots. Now understand this, Israel still did, had not fought with the first single chariot. They had maybe a few horsemen, but for the most part they didn't have weapons of war. Not only that, there were 6,000 horsemen. In other words, there were still the cavalry that was ready to fall in behind the chariot. And then you had more people than could be numbered. That's what it says here. And the people as the sand is that was on the seashore. So this enemy was very vast and they were all around them. Now Saul, for the most part, he and Samuel had already come together and there was an agreement that was going to be made. Samuel was going to be the one that was going to come and prepare the offering. He was going to be scheduled to do that. This was the law. This was the, the test. This was everything that was going to be there. Notice that it said that, that this was the appointed time. Look at verse 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time. 
So even so, Samuel knew this time. And so as he was looking for this appointed time, he knew that this was going to be the time he was going to come in, he was going to bring all the offering, he was going to ask for the burnt offering to be made, and then they were going to ask God to deliver them from the, from the enemy. This was the test. The failure is right behind it. Look what it says when it comes to failure. And when we take a look at the, in verse 9, it said, And Saul said, Bring thither a burnt offering. Bring it to me. Do you realize that Saul was not the man to do such a thing? And I, and I thought about this for a moment. Do you realize that there was a close relationship between David and the high priest and also with the, the prophets? There was a close relationship with the three. And so David prayed. He, many times what we see is that David himself said, Lord, shall I go up to the enemy? And sometimes the Lord said, don't go up. But most of the time the Lord said, go up. I'll be with you. When all the Philistines, we found that there was everything taken from them. When they had joined themselves over to the Philistine army, and the army said, get out of here. We don't want your kind with us because we're going to go up against Israel. And so he was turned back. And as soon as he was turned back, he came to find out that everything that they had owned, all their possessions, everything was taken by the Amalekites. All was gone. And so David and his men were weeping and crying. In fact, there was a cry from the men to kill David. How many of you remember that? If you don't believe me, go, go read the last chapter of the book of First Samuel. And finally, David refreshed himself. He waited upon the Lord. And when he went guess what? The Lord said, go. So he and, and 400, because 200 of the men were not able to go with him because they were so tired, but 400 went with him. And when he went forward, he went forward to recapture everything that was taken and then some. Now, here's the thing. Do you see anywhere in Scripture where Saul ever thought the Lord about what he should do? Now, this is the test. The test is, I know what I should do, but am I going to do it? Now, here's the problem that I, I see in most of our churches today. We want immediate, if not quicker, answers. Now, we all do. I mean, if I understood what God wants from me, then I should be able to patiently wait upon him. Do you realize that Saul, or, you know, Saul of Tarsus, which later became the Apostle Paul, he was told of God, I want you to stay right where you're at because I have much people here. Now, did God tell him how soon the people would be saved? How many of you know anything about that? We don't know how long he was there, but as the people began to grow in number, there was this also this attention that things were not right. We don't know how long Saul was there, or, or Paul was there, but we do know that he was following after the Lord. If Saul had communed with the Lord, could the Lord have answered and said, you just wait, 
Samuel's on his way. But instead, we see the discourse of humanity. And what I see in myself, man, I see it all the time. I try to run ahead of the Lord. How many of you all see that in, in, in Isaiah chapter 40, where it says, He that wait on the Lord. That means you stop right where you're at. How many of us remember when we were kids and we rode in the car and one of the first things we would ask our parents was, are we there yet? And what, <laughs> you will. But how many of us also remember this answer? Sit back, shut up, and enjoy the ride. You've heard that, haven't you? Guess what? That is an age-old statement that has been passed down from age to age, and you're going to pass it down to your kids as well. Entertainment has changed. Man, we used to do everything under the sun to try to entertain ourselves. But we soon learned, don't ask that question, because my dad would make this statement, you'll know we're there when we're there. And reality is, that is the area we need to address as a church as well. There is one product where we know we have to go, go forth and pre preach the gospel. But many times the Lord may say, wait and work on your armor. Clean up the sword. Prepare for battle. Because you see, the enemy that is all around us, and I'm seeing more and more of them every day, they are preparing themselves for the battle as at hand. I had a young man that is, has called me from prison a number of times. And he said, do you know this one verse that the Jehovah Witness Bible says where they change it? And I said, well, number one, they don't even have a Bible. They have what they call the watchtower. But in itself, they, they select scriptures that are more appealing to themselves and they ignore the rest. But one of the verses they have is a blatant change from the scripture itself. I want you to consider this for a moment. And this is the thing that every one of us need to understand. The test says, they that wait upon the Lord. The failure is when we run ahead of the Lord. I wrote down two things that give us a demonstration about failure. Number one, when we try to make the scripture teach us or work with us that we know is not right, then we have a problem. Let's turn to Jeremiah. And this time, I know it's Jeremiah. Let's go to chapter 29. And let's go down to verse 11. And I, I did this on purpose today. And so, Lord, please uh, bless as I use this example. Let's read, or let's be prepared at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. If we take modern translations, and I can look for any modern translation that I can find, and look for those things that are going to appeal to me. Now, everybody with me at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11? I'm going to read to you from the NIV, the same exact verse. And I want you to see the difference. And follow along with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you, a, give you hope and a future. Is that what the scripture says? How many of you all saw the word prosperity in there? It's not there, is it? How many of you all see the word, the plans I have for you in the future? 
Let's read it together, shall we? Verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts. I know the thoughts. Not the plans. I know the thoughts. I know what's in my mind. That I think. Now, the whole and I love what one preacher did. One preacher said, you know what really, where we make a mistake is we like to take Jeremiah and find one verse that we can twist and manipulate and everything else that satisfies us. But when I really take a look at the rest of the passage, it's about settling in to Babylon. Settling in to our area. This is not my home. Please understand this. I understand that I am in Cerrito. This is our temporary stopping grounds. I understand that. Where is my home? It awaits me on the other side, on the other side now, of heaven. When we shall return. How many of you all expect to be kings and priests? We all But guess what? That is upon this earth again. Now, can you imagine returning and, and the Lord saying, well, you've been so faithful, Brother Randy, I'm going to give you Cerrito Canova. And you're going to go, the armpit of America? I have much people there. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? Look what he says here. I know the thought I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Not one word of prosperity. Some of the people were going to remain in that region of Babylon. Some were going to be called apart to establish a new work back at Jerusalem that had been wiped away. God had already anticipated. God had already You know, many times people say, oh, the wonderful prosperity that God is going to give me. I am prosperous. Let me tell you what, the greatest prosperity I can have is when I sit down with a child or with an adult and I show them the Word of God and they appreciate being shown the truth of God's Word. And not only that, when they come to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I am... When I take them through the baptismal waters, I am on the mountain when they are joined to this congregation, I am on the mountaintop where many times we fail to realize we our responsibility to work and to prepare and to teach them has just begun. Now let's go back here once again to 1 Samuel chapter 13. The failure that came in was that Saul had already determined to run ahead of God. This is in the heart of a person. What made him want to do this? When he began to see in verse 8, and he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. You know what that means? The people were leaving. Oh, evidently, Saul had forgotten about Gideon, where God said, you 30,000 people, that's way too much. 10,000 people, that's way too much. 300 people, that's just right. God can take one person and cause a great leadership to occur. Saul had made a determination, well, God, you must have forsaken me. God is still in control, and for those of us that don't know it, God is still in control, so much so that when God saw 
and God uh, sent Samuel and let Samuel see everything that was going on. Samuel had made this decree in verse 14, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. You know what scares me? That I would pastor a church that will not continue. But understand this, that if I am faithful to the time the Lord returns, this building is not going to continue anyway. Anyone here want to stay behind if you do? I remember this, that many years ago, it was said that uh, Brother Al Malo, Brother Al, if the rapture occurs, you get up and finish preaching for me, will you? And Brother Al said, okay. But the reality is, is that, and I mean, he probably wasn't thinking about where he was answering, but the reality is, is that how many of us are expected this to be an empty edifice at that time when the Lord says, come up hither, church. Come up hither, saints. Come up hither, bride. Yeah. When God says for us to come home, then it shall all begin as an occurrence. The last thing that I want us to see is this. Do I seek the Lord as I should? Now, I understand this, is that I've had the many opportunities to study individuals that are in the Bible. Matter of fact, I'm going to show this to you. This may surprise you. But do you realize that at the time of this occurrence, this was about 1093, 1093. The decree in 1093 BC, this, the decree went out about God is going to seek him another person. And David wasn't born till almost 1073. Do you realize that Saul was probably looking for someone that was going to be the replacement? And the whole time God was saying, I've already prepared a person, but you don't even know who it is. Do not think that God can't raise up someone else to be in our place. We've been given a great opportunity, have we not? We have been given a great responsibility to preach the word of God. We have a great responsibility to fall on our faces and ask God to bless us and lead us and to watch over us. But as we, if we only study a person for the psychology reasons, we miss the point. And Saul was a man who was afraid of not having enough followers. He was brave on one end. He was brave on one end. Do we remember that he went into Jabesh Gilead and he was, and he literally, what made him the king was that he stood up in righteous indignation. But sometimes that righteous indignation can go to our head. I hope it never goes to ours. Do you realize how humble we have to be in order for God to build us up? I want you to see this. Turn with me to the book of James. To the book of James. And we're going to go to chapter 4. There's a bit of a test. I want us to go down to verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Make sure that everybody's there. James chapter 4 verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God re resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. That's, that's pretty hard, isn't it? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me ask you this. I want you to stop there just for a second and think about this. And we're going to go back to verse 7. What do you want, or what do you expect from a pastor? Do you want strong leadership? Do you want someone who's studious? Someone who knows the Bible, who goes into the Bible quite a bit? Yeah. But what if the pastor approaches and says, I need you. Pray with me. Do you realize that that is the greatest strength of all? Look what it says. Draw nigh to God. I still ponder all the meaning of that word. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Pray your uh, and pray your hearts be do- not uh, and pray that. Uh, let me put it. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Look at verse ten. Humble yourselves. Now, is that just the congregation? Or is that everybody in the church? That's everybody, including yours truly. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. I want to be lifted up in such a way that every preaching message I deliver has a power, has a presence, has something to really consider, really some meat to bite into. And the only way that can really happen is if I come before the Lord and say, I can't do it. I can't preach. I don't have the abilities. I don't I may have the knowledge because you gave it to me, but I don't have the is where every member of the church should be praying not only for the leadership of this congregation, for the leadership of our country, that we might have a godly presence in everything we do. Who is it that seems to have a voice more than anyone? Television evangelists are saying, money, 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 send me more money. What good is that? Do you realize every penny that they put in their pocket is going to perish someday? If the United States of America goes away, what's left? When the global economy comes, what's left? When there's rations, and we we shouldn't be here when that occurs. When the rations occur, there's a song that we, we, we often sing you know, back in the 70s, I wish we'd all been ready. When a, piece, when, when a bag of gold would buy a piece of bread, I wish we'd all been ready. Would we be ready if we knew the consequences of the moment? Saul, you can't be king anymore. Or you're going to be king for a while. But it ends with you. And notice what we find here is the decree. In verse 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. That's got to be hard. I mean, you look at your sons. There was Jonathan. 
there was the other two sons he had as well. And he goes, those are going to pass on as well. Jonathan had only one son. His name was Mephibosheth that survived, that lived. And the only son that survived and lived was going to be the one that was lame in his feet. And David loved that young man with all of his heart. But can you imagine that young man can no longer be king? That man can't be king. The Lord has sought him a man. You know, here's the thing we all need to understand. I can be the man of God that he wants for me to be if I literally come to him in prayer, in separation, in dedication, in submission, all these things. And if I'm the man of God that I should be, then guess what? This verse doesn't apply to me. It's a warning. How many of us can say, I am a man of God? Man, I tell you what, I, 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 there's been times I've been very close to God, but am I truly a man of God? I am if I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that's the message. Go into the world and tell the world, Christ is my Savior. Christ is my Lord because I know He's my Lord. More than anything else, all that's going to remain is the Word of God that we spread to individuals. I remember Brother Tom Ross, when, I, when he was teaching class one time, made this statement. He says, whatever you do, don't give them your example without giving them the first verse of the Word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will likewise come again and receive you unto myself, that there you may be also. How many of us believe that? That is the whole decree that we have in a nutshell. May we be truly men after God's own heart. Now, Lord, we pray that you will go with us and that you will dismiss us from this service. Guide us, dear Lord, that we may be faithful to you in all things and guide and keep us in that we may trust you. The Lord, the message has been delivered. Now, may it find place in every heart that you would have for it to go. In Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, would you lead us now?